Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of the Return to the Podcast. We have a lot to talk about today, including four reviews, four previews, and also the Australian Open and how the qualifiers performed. And also there have been already two secured top 100 debuts at the Australian Open, which we're also going to mention since uh, while there weren't qualify, well, actually one of them is, is a qualifier, but the other is not, but still a player we've been watching a lot on the Challenger circuit, so he deserves a mention here as well. What are we going to start with? Actually, let's quickly just go through the Australian Open qualifying. So Dino Prismic obviously played Novak Djokovic in the opening round and fared so well. I think this was such a good display of his long-term prospects as well. Like, if you if you look at his game right now, I know I haven't been a, a fan, and I still think that his rise is not going to be, like, meteoric uh, right now. But if you watch his game, like against Djokovic especially, he kind of plays like Borna Choric already. <laughs> like, this is a bit of a Borna Choric quality type game. Of course, the serve isn't as good. Uh, but I think the way he held up his fighting spirit in that one and how he sort of backed himself in the rallies against Djokovic, that was so good to watch. And uh, it really makes you think that, well, maybe I was a little harsh on Prismic. And I'm glad I did include him on that top 100 list eventually, even if I'm still not sure that he's going to make it, honestly. Because I think putting in wins consistently at the challenger level might actually be, be a little bit tougher for him than for some other players. However... Of course, um, the way he performs on the ATP Tour right now, I think this is just really good in terms of his long-term uh, ability. Um, then we also had uh, Hugo Gaston, who was the lucky loser. He won a match against Carbaez Baena, but then got domino- dominated by Fritz. I don't think there's much to talk about there. Dane Sweeney losing to Serundolo in five sets. We said that this potentially could be a, a decent matchup for him if Serundolo is still off. He kind of was, but still Dane played a pretty good aggressive first set. But yeah, nothing to write home about there. Uh, Bergs uh, actually got in. I don't know if uh, during the episode I already knew that. Probably not. And he played Stefanos Tsitsipas, which I was so excited for, but Zizou only had it in him physically for one set. But uh, if anyone watched that first set, like he clearly had his chances to beat Tsitsipas if, if he was able to stay with him physically as well. Uh, Jesper de Jong did what he was supposed to. He beats Pedro Cacci and he goes out to Yannick Sinner very easily, but you know, it's still like anything in the second round against Sinner would have been a bonus. There was also Shintaro Mochizuki as a lucky loser, losing to Tomas Mahaj in three sets. Nothing crazy there, but Alexander Kovacevic won a round and that's enough for the top 100 along with his qualifying campaign. I'm so happy for Kova. He, of course, came very close last year. Around uh, March, April, he had that moment when he basically was on the verge of the top 100 debut. He was live at number 100, and there was just one match left on the other side of the planet, the Sanremo semifinals, which would decide his fate. And he uh, didn't get that. I mean, he, he couldn't control it, obviously, but Van Ash won that match. He broke the top 100 himself. 
and Kovacevic didn't, then he didn't win a match for three months. So that was a bit rough, but of course still 400 titles and obviously I did have him on my top 100 list for 2024. He was a bit of an obvious selection, even if he actually is defending a couple of challenger titles soon. So maybe his top 100 stay won't be that long for now, but I think he's got a great chance, especially in that um, three week, uh, three month period when he, um, again, didn't win a match last year. Uh, if he makes up for that, if he goes for like maybe a different scheduling, uh, for maybe uh, the South Korean swing, that would be amazing, and I think he can do it. Flavio Koboli won two matches, which was also pretty ridiculous, and like the hardcore leap that he's made in the past couple of months, amazing. There was a lot of Italian support, and we all know that Koboli loves that, that he really knows how to interact with the crowd. So he beat Jari, Kotov, and then lost to Kobo uh, Deminor in the third round, which was fine, but you know he couldn't threaten him. Vid Kopshiva actually took two sets of Sebastian Korda, which was pretty insane. Uh, he was even two, set two games to love up in the decider, but once Korda sort of settled, uh, the match was over. But of course, for Kopshiva, that's also some pretty decent points even qualifying here. Like, you're never going to expect it and good money coming his way as well. Uh, Lloyd Harris was a bit disappointing losing to Quentin Alice, but I think Quentin Alice played one of his best matches in a while. Then we also had David Goffin losing to Ugo Umber, nothing to write home about again. Omar Jasika getting destroyed by, well, destroyed, losing in three sets to Hubert Hurkacz, one tiebreak. Again, we weren't expecting much there. But Jakub Menšik, I think he fully delivered on what we were uh, hoping for. He didn't quite beat Hurkacz, but he defeated Shapovalov with ease. And then against Hurkacz, he just didn't have it physically, you know, to, to stick around with uh, Hubert for five sets. Sets four and five just sort of felt like, yeah, throwaways. Like, it was pretty certain when it was maybe the, the end of the fourth set that Menshik was going to lose this match. Uh, but I think he definitely showed that, well, quality-wise, he already had it in him to beat Hurkacz. It's just that he didn't have the stamina yet. But uh, he's going to be up there, and especially comparing him to someone like Hurkacz, which I think I did on the on the previous show. Uh, you know, they were, they were often compared in the juniors because they have similar body types, similar uh, movement in defense, also big serves, of course. And yeah, really, like the style of defending is so similar in terms of the footwork, in terms of how they never really counter or like loop the ball back in, but more so just use their uh, extra reach and just try to pick up balls and extend their rallies this way. And also, um, yeah, Menchik is just the better player, I think, in the future because he has better basics, better fundamentals, and at the same time can accelerate off his forehand, you know, has no issues doing that. I don't know, maybe this will actually lead to some issues with his shot selection in the future or something, but, uh, well, right now, of course, he's not exactly the most experienced player ever and he can struggle with that, but um, he looks like a more complete version of Hurkacz to me and uh, definitely a more aggressive one. Another qualifier was Hugo Grenier, who actually beat Alexander Miller. That was a bit surprising, but then he lost to Felix Ojaliasim in four sets. Uh, we, we said that this run from Grenier was pretty wild, so he kind of kept it going. Tennis Atmane took a set of Daniel Medvedev, but then had to retire uh, due to uh, like cramping, I think, from what I can remember. But yeah, um, basically, when it comes to the opening set, Atmane, I don't think he had to do all that much. Uh, Medvedev was serving at 5-4 and then had an awful streak of free games, which I think could only be really, um, you know, attributed to Rust. Uh, Lucas Klein, what a performance. I was so happy about that one. 
uh, Klein beats Sun Wukwon, who actually for a, for a player who hadn't played since the Asian Games, he was like amazing in that one actually. And Klein pr plays a phenomenal match against Zverev. Some minor missed chances. There was that four all breakpoint in the fourth, which could have been like a virtual match point really for Klein. But um, he miss he gets a bit overexcited there. He misses a couple of forehands. But the way he was taking the racket out of Zverev's hands the whole match really, and he he didn't go away until the final set tiebreak, until really the eight seven point when he misses a volley after uh, Zverev basically extends the rally by like ten shots. And um, Klein was just playing ridiculous stuff. He was playing with so much conviction, you know, 90, up, 90 net approaches as usual. But like he does it against one of the best players in the sport, and he just kills every single ball, ball he sees, you know. He plays this hyper-aggressive style of his on the big stage. He uh, performs extremely well. And I couldn't be disappointed, you know. I, I really couldn't be disappointed. Even though he lost, even though he had his chances, I just couldn't feel disappointed because he played a literally perfect match. Like, this was a phenomenal display of Lucas's, Lucas Klein's ability. Uh, Giulio Zapieri also won a round and then went two sets to have up on Cam Nori, but then suddenly the forehand fire dried out. I was I was surprised by that for sure. And, um, well, uh, Cam, I think the only real chance that he had against Zapieri was to outlast him, and that's precisely what he did. There was also rain delay, which I thought maybe could give uh, Zapieri some energy back. In fact, I think even two rain delays, but he never returned to that uh, amazing uh, forehand and serve hitting from the match against Lajovic or against Nori. Mate Valkus lost in four sets to Max Purcell. I think a bit of a missed opportunity. Uh, also displaying some limitations of his game. Uh, but um, yeah, it wasn't that high quality. Like he could have easily t taken it to five at least. And also the last qualifier that we had was Sumit Nagal, who won a match against uh, Alexander Public. Big story. I know Sumit made a lot of headlines because of the recent um, things he said about like the lack of funding, the lack of support from the Indian Federation, how little was in his bank account at some point. So of course it was a big story. And then he lost to Yuncheng Shang. Was this a particularly impressive event for Nagal? As a whole, yes. When it comes to the Public win, of course it was a bit of a... Uh, Bublik Fiesta for two sets and then Bublik actually tries to um, out-rally him off the ground and he wasn't able to do it in the third set. So, uh, you know, once uh, the pants were on fire for the Kazakh, he tried something else and actually didn't work out. Uh, but yeah, that other top 100 debut that I have to mention, even though it was a wild card, Kazo beating Jere, beating Rune, beating Griekspor. Now he is about to play Hurkacz in like seven hours from when I'm recording this, maybe like eight, more like eight, nine. So I don't know the result of that. When you guys listen to this, you're, you will already know it. But I think uh, already it's been such a fantastic performance. I did have him in my top 100 list. Um, it didn't feel like a like an obvious pick because he had a pretty poor second half of 2023 lots of points to defend in January but if you've been listening to this show for a while you know that I've always been a huge advocate of his talent love the uh, first serve which is like the best for his height really uh, possible, I think. Also, the uh, net, the, the the play style with a lot of ventures forward, with the big hitting of the ground. I think he's hit, going for it even more now, and also uh, the athleticism, the speed has become even stronger. Like he's actually able to turn around points as well. Before this week, he only had one uh, top fifty win against Manarino in 2021 Geneva. Manarino on clay, not particularly impressive. Now he gets through Jere, Rune and Griekspor. And like, it's so rare actually to play three top 35 players to get to a slam for, uh, fourth round. And that's only because Jere, whom he faced in the opening round, was actually the highest ranked unseeded player. So fantastic display from Kazo. 
I think he has a real shot against Hurkacz as well, right? It should be a bit of a surface. So anytime we have a matchup like this, of course, we are expecting it to be slightly random at least. Uh, but yeah, Kazo gets to, into the top 100 and he might stick around. Like this, this is a real serious threat uh, going forwards for main tour players, I think. And um, yeah, with that, we might just get back to the challengers. The biggest one we've had was in Tenerife, which was a challenger 100. And this was where I got my point this week, well, my only point, in fact, when uh, Brandon Nakashima, all for my picks, for the most part, outside of one, were pretty good. But uh, Brandon Nakashima won the title. And if you guys remember last week, I was thinking of picking someone else. Who that was, I don't even remember, honestly, <laughs> at this point. But I was thinking of picking someone else rather than Brandon. But then I decided, okay, so he has that pretty tough opener against Landaluce, but well, I'm gonna be fine if he beats if Landaluce beats him because it's still a, a great player, a great young player winning, right? So I ended up uh, going with Nakashima, and that match against Landaluce was extremely tough for him. He went three five down in the third, and uh, honestly, um, it wasn't a great display of Brandon's game, definitely not. I think Landaluce for large chunks of the match with the improved footwork that he has. He was, again, sort of out-hitting him, not in the way that Menchik did recently, but um, in, the, in, in, in just maybe a more solid, composed way. But he was still more precise, more heavy on his ground strokes, which usually is the Nakashima uh, thing, which I guess you might even say that Nakashima recently, he's like only been losing to Grand Slam uh, juniors, runners-up, uh, titleists like Landaluce. So the last five, sorry, five or six, six losses of Nakashima, uh, sorry, five um, uh, losses of Nakashima, they have been uh, Menshik, Menshik, Draper, and Marterer, who's not uh, not a Grand Slam finalist, of course, and also, I'm forgetting, oh, Kazo. Yeah, so Kazo, Draper, and Menshik twice, and here he also almost, almost loses to Landaluce. And you know what? There was a bit of a talent gap in this match, I think. Nakashima, I, I, I am expecting him to be back in the top 100. Of course, this title really helps him. But I wonder if Andalusa, Menchik, uh, Kazo, Draper, all of these youngsters simply as, aren't more talented than him, you know? He, he has had some good times on the ATP Tour, of course, but he definitely didn't go as hard at it, you know, as, as we once thought when he was breaking through challengers. Anyway, of course, he's back in full health now and like he will be back in the top 100 really soon. This title helps. After beating Landalusa, he never loses a set again. He beats Morocanias, Maestrelli, FCAF and Martinez. The final against Martinez, I think outside of a brief fight back from Pedro, it wasn't really close. Like Brandon was just way better. Uh, so if you look at it like this, like if you look at the, that run and just think, okay, so he was the massive favorite in every match, basically, yes, but he had that one tough round, tough opening round against Landaluce, where honestly Martin kind of choked from 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 five three. Uh, I I think he he played a pretty poor service game when he was trying to serve it out. But anyway, um, Pedro Brandon Nakashima now almost about almost in the top one hundred again, and yeah, it looks like he's gonna be there for sure this year. He had like a decent Lyon run last year, but for the most part was of course really poor at the ATP level, which made him fall out, um, you know, that low in the first place. So I think he's got a lot to gain uh, in the next few months. I mean, probably even until 
yeah, November is is gonna be mostly gaining points. I mean, he has some decent rounds like Winston Salem round three, Shanghai round three, you know. But but for the most part, a lot of opening round losses as well. So he has a lot to gain, and I think he will easily be back in the top 100 this year. Pedro Martinez, the finalist, is actually already back in the top 100. By the way, what uh, sensational finals were, right? Nakashima Martinez, big names. This time last year, they were actually both in the top 60 still. Then, of course, they fell out of the top 100. Martinez was a little disappointing at the Australian Open qualifying. I hear he was sick there uh, when he played Passaro. Uh, but uh, theoretically, he still had like a challenger win streak of 11 going into Tenerife. He beats Hertz, Berankis, Yamas Ruiz, Paranko Cosano. Uh, maybe a little easier generally the draw than um, Nakashima's, especially the semis. And as I said, the final wasn't too competitive. He had like his moments, he had some flashes, especially the backhand down the line that he uses to break back in the second set, a few great drop shots, but all in all, I don't think that was really that competitive. But he returns to the top 100, which is of course pretty huge for Pedro. And then the semi-finalists, Denis Yevsiaev, a very tricky player to face, we all know that. He qualifies here, he beats Ridi, although that was via retirement, then he beats Fonini, the top seed, which was a big win of course, and also Vincent Ruggeri, who's like a very improving player, kind of overlooked uh, when it comes to his ITF rise at the end of last year, going 10-0 in December, um, losing twice recently in Oeiras to Joao Souza. So that was a very good win, I think, for EFCF as well. And this time he pushes Nakashima a little bit more than in Danderit when I watched that match live a couple of months ago. And um, yeah, that's really it about EFCF. I mean, uh, right now he's, of course, in the top 200 for the first time in his career, really. And he is holding up at the challenger level. But I think after last year, we weren't expecting anything else, really. Uh, he is like finally playing with a bit more motivation and focus and it shows. Baranko Cosano, though, the semi-finalist, kind of surprising on hard courts, definitely. Uh, he qualified, then he beat Brancaccio via retirement, Meligeni Alves. But that was a match that Marigeni Alves kind of blew. He beats Kukushkin 6-1-6-1 and then loses to Martinez 1-6-1-6. So a bit of a random run. Um, I think I've said a few times that I actually like watching him quite a lot. But let's say I like watching him on clay. Uh, on hard courts, mm, and, and he actually hadn't played on hard courts in quite a while. Well, at least on he hadn't won on outdoor hard courts in quite a while. Of course, last year he also had a fairly random run to Hamburg. Uh, what was it? Quarters indoors? which uh, was quite surprising to us as well. So, um, I mean, it's a, he's, a, he's a pretty fun lefty grinder, but uh, yeah, maybe maybe most of the time we would like him to stick to clay. But today, I mean, today, this week, he managed to actually claim a very good run in and a lot of points in Tenerife. And lastly, when it comes to the doubles, my uh, Polish pairing of Trzewiecki Matuszewski were very close to claiming back-to-back -back titles along with Oeiraś. But they lost to Kirchhoff and Martinez in the final. Kirchhoff Martinez totally dominating the third set tiebreaker. Uh, so uh, that was it for the doubles in Tenerife. Uh, when it comes to the second biggest challenger that we had this week, the 75, we are ending the non-taburi swing, the three-week tie, uh, you know, swing of events at that venue. And Mateo Gigante won that title over Seong Chan Hong. So um, yeah, the field this week I think was probably a little better than in the second week, but still wasn't that huge. 
Uh, my pick for the title was Mark Layal, which did not work out at all. Layal losing to Tunglin Wu in the opening round. But I think, was I going to pick Gigante? Probably not after losing to Sweeney at Australian Open qualifying, where he really didn't play that well. But at the same time, maybe. Uh, I mean, he is definitely an improving player, I think, from the sort of like back row of Italian talent. If he is going to like break the top 100 in a year or two, no one should be surprised. I think he's also significantly better hardcourts and even indoors, despite the horrific win-loss record than he's being given credit for. And uh, this week he managed to win three deciding sets in a row at first. Weber on Klem Idukovic and then beats Jung and uh, Jason Jung and um, Seongchan Hong, as I mentioned earlier. Against Hong, I think it was a very nice display of his court craft and both offensively and defensively, he was able to come up with a lot of good touch shots. Then Hong also had some physical issues in the second set. But yeah, this is quietly a very good start to the year for Gigante. Well, maybe not so quietly after winning a title, but he is nine and two now. Uh, he qualified and made the quarters in Canberra, losing to Diallo. Then, of course, that lost to Sweeney in Australian Open and at the Australian Open qualifying. And now he wins Nontaburi. So uh, his third challenger title after two last year. One of them was on clay, one of them was on hard courts. Actually around this time in Tenerife, but not the first event, but the, the third, I think. I think the first was Shevchenko, the second was Arnaldi, and the third was Gigante over Travaglia. Yeah. So his third challenger title, second on hard courts. Song Chan Hong, speaking of him in the uh, final, he kind of has a very weird Nontaburi record this year because in the, at the first event, he qualified and made the semis. Then at the second event, he was already in the main draw and he gets blown out by Brandon Holt. And then at the third event, he qualifies again and he makes the final. So basically, whenever he has to qualify, he actually is much better than when he is in the main draw. I think uh, against Roca Bataya in the first round, he, he had to save a match point, which wasn't, you know, it didn't bode too well for his chances. But then he beats Benjamin Hassan, and that was the big one this week for him, I think. Uh, the second round here against Hassan, 6 to 6 3. I wasn't expecting him to be so comfortable there. Eventually, he manages to get into the final as well. But as I said, a bit of physical issues in the second set. But also, he was just getting outplayed. As we know, Hong is a bit of a basic-ish player. And uh, Gigante, I think, against someone like that could really start including his, you know, his, his skill set and just uh, sort of confusing the South Korean with what he was doing on the court. And then the semi-finalists of that Nontaburi event, the last swing, we've had Giovanni Fonio. Uh, who is like nearing the top 250, you know, maybe in some time he could even get Grand Slam qualifying if he gets uh, runs like the, if he keeps getting runs like this. He lost to Langmo in the qualifying of the first Nontaburi event, then also to Holt, just like Hong in the second event. And here he was pretty solid, get, getting wins like Moreno Dalboran, Shima Bukuro, a comeback win against Puleu in the qualifying. So it was a pretty decent run for sure. Uh, but eventually against Hong, I was a little disappointed with his run, just, just wasn't really able to impose himself uh, with his run, with his performance. And uh, Jason Jung, also the veteran, who we know that at the end of last year, he fired up a little bit. And I think he had a very solid uh, Nontaburi swing as well. I mean, Nontaburi second, he uh, beats Hart and loses to Ginard, who was, of course, in the final of that one. And Nontaburi third, he beats Maximus Jones, Aziz Dugas, Ryan Penniston and loses to Gigante in the semis, but it was a competitive match. Uh, I am really excited to see if we can get like a Grand Slam qualifying return from Jason Jung this year, because his form of like the last few months, at least, has been, I think, enough to warrant that. So uh, it's not impossible for Jason Jung to pull off something like this to me. And, and when it comes to the doubles in Nontaburi, 
that was won by Luke Johnson and Skander Mansuri, who were the top seeds. I think they only played one deciding set along the way, which came against, uh, no, actually two deciding sets, which came against Oliveira Rocabataya and also Duncan Stevenson at first. But then later on, they managed to beat both Bolipai, Kalianda Punacha and our favorite duo of Matsui Uesugi in the semifinals without dropping a set. Of course, Johnson and Mansuri have an excellent record with each other, so... Uh, it's not really a surprise to see them picking up these titles. In fact, this is already their fourth challenger. As a whole, they have a 35 and 11 win-loss record as a duo. They also made the semi-finals in both previous non-Taburi events here. Um, and yeah, and when it comes to the uh, one of the two challenger 50s we've had, Buenos Aires, let's start with that. Uh, and uh, there we had Facundo Bagni beating Mariano Navone in the final, which, uh, yeah, I think it was a very exciting match. Um, Navone, the top seed, my pick for the title as well. So uh, definitely a lot of pressure on him here, I think, because he picked up a late wildcard for this event. You know, um, challenger uh, players ranked inside the top 150 generally can't enter challenger 50 events unless uh, it's a wildcard for a player ranked 51 to 100 who's from that country or for a player for, who is ranked 101 to 150 from any country. Uh, so, 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 so basically uh, Navone uh, was one of the first few players who used that. Next week we're also going to have Zacharis Faida in Indian Wells. I think previously I remember Chen Ilkal doing it. Also that wildcard has to be approved by the ATP. So it's, it's like the challenger wildcards for top 50 players outside of the 175 category. So you know the tournament just cannot, really, cannot award it without the ATP's approval. But anyway, uh, Facundo Bagnis actually stole the show by winning his 17th challenger title. And this is the most uh, among active players. It was sort of already the most before this week because he was at 16 and Maximo Gonzalez was at 17. So if we are only counting players active in singles, then it would be Bagnis. However, Maximo Gonzalez is of course still playing doubles. So I think right now he actually ties Maximo Gonzalez for it, which um, sort of allows us to just, without any asterisk, say that Bagnis has the most challenger titles out of anyone. Uh, on uh, out of any active player on the planet, really. Along with Gonzalez, if you want to count him as active, despite him not playing singles in a few years. Uh, but anyway, when it comes to Bagnis, of course, he had a very poor 2023 campaign, barely made the Australian Open qualifying cut. And this is just so huge for him. And you could see how much, how much it means as well. He got so emotional after stealing the final. And I, I, I'm saying stealing because he was 3-5 down in the third and managed to win the next four games. A bit of help from Navone at first, but the last couple of games were excellent from him. And I think in general, he was the first player who stood up to Navone this week. A lot of, lot of that was due to his heavy ground strokes and like how he really didn't allow Navone to be in control offensively too much. And I think, uh, yeah, that was just a really good showing from Bagnis as a whole. The whole week was uh, just so much better than his 2023 standard. And uh, yeah, the emotions at the end was also, were also very clear. Someone, uh, one of my friends uh, texted me after the fact that like, it, it's so clear that Bagnis loves tennis. And I think that's true. Like he really played his heart out in the final and the fighting spirit kept him alive. And eventually he was actually able to produce a couple of great games to, to take the win as well. So 17th challenger title, what an achievement. And um, yeah, let's see if this whole season is going to be much better for him than 2023. The way he played this week, I'm not against that. Like it, it is possible to me. 
uh, I think his game is still there despite being 33 and you know maybe us wondering last year if he hasn't already started declining heavily it seems like a game to be a, like a top challenger clay quarter is still very much there uh, then of course Mariano Navone one of the most promising players right now who's ahead of this golden swing I, like he is definitely one of the players to look at he as I said took the wild card so there was a bit of pressure on him he was one of just two top 200 players in the draw and then uh, Genaro Alberto Olivieri just went out so early that um, basically Navone was the first top top the, the only top 200 player in the draw Olivieri won just one game against Tristan Boyer in the opening round but yeah Navone uh, didn't struggle with anyone on the way to the final which again makes it a little more impressive even that Bagnis was able to push him eventually he gets just 25 points for five matches which given how intense the next six weeks or so are going to be for him I think it's like barely worth it, but I guess it's rhythm anyway. I guess it's just rhythm going forwards into Punta del Este, Piracicaba and the ATP Tour Golden Swing. So um, yeah, I, I think it's perfectly fine for him. However, missing the 25 points in the final, I think is a big hit when you were such a massive favorite to win the title. Uh, but eventually he also lost to a veteran, to a very experienced player who, who did play also well on the day. and. Uh, maybe also uh, Navona, I would say, faltered on a few occasions for sure in the in the final, especially 5-3 up. It was a bit of a mess, that final, but still one of the best matches of the weekend. The drama plus the, the emotional reactions of Bagnis after the title, after winning the title, I think they make up for the quality being a bit patchy, uh, and, you know, at, at times. Eduardo Lavagno, the semi-finalist, he actually did push Navona a bit in the second set, but since it was 6-love, six 6-4, you know, probably not that much to mention, but he beats Fonseca, Weiss and Rodriguez Taverna. So a very solid week for the lefty forehand hitter. And uh, especially against Fonseca, it was a funny match because like, of course, Rao is going to be better in, you know, probably not so long. But for now, they're just a similar player, you know, when they when they don't really have that much in terms of point construction, they, they just really try to go after their forehands. And he did manage to beat the junior number one eventually losing to Navone in the semi-finals but of course it's a solid run for the guy who uh, really broke through last year at the challenger level and showed that he has the quality to hang around especially on a good day when the forehand is firing and also the other semi-finalist was Dimitri Popko who of course was the runner-up in Buenos Aires three match points against Gonzalo Bueno we remember talking last week about that uh, choke which was a choke like he got incredibly tight at the end and this time he actually still manages to get a run here, beating Sanchez Hover, Kovalik, Kolarini, and losing to Facundo Bagnis. So I think as a whole, you know, this fortnight was pretty amazing for Popko for sure. And a return to the challenger level where uh, last year he was really struggling to get anything going and just had to rely on his ITF results. And when it comes to the doubles, it was actually a title for Fonseca alongside Pedro Sakamoto, beating Schneite and Wallner in the final. And it was a bit of a weird draw where Fonseca Sakamoto were like avoiding most of the high seeds other than the, the first round when they beat Orlando Luz and then Marcelo Zorman da Silva. Uh, but um, yeah, Huertas del Pino uh, brothers were eliminated by, Schne by Schneider and Wallner, uh, the, uh, are the, the best pairing in the field. So Arias Zeballos were also eliminated by Schneider and Wallner, who eventually didn't play all that well like, in the final against Fonseca and Sakamoto. Uh, but I guess it's pretty cool for the uh, junior number one as well to get a challenger doubles title already. 
He was somewhat close in the previous event in Buenos Aires to pick up a singles title, but of course lost to Dimitri Popko in the semifinals. And Fonseca is still going to be playing next week in Punta del Este, so we still get a lot more time to watch Joao Fonseca on the Challenger Tour. He's sort of going all out at the beginning of the season, it seems, with the Challenger Accelerator spots that he can pick up. We have one more Challenger to cover, of course, that's the event in Indian Wells which is actually uh, a Challenger 50 as well. And um, one of my, my pick here was Paul Jobb, who made the semis. We're going to talk about him. But for now, uh, Mitchell Kruger and Brandon Holtz were the finalists. And Mitch Kruger eventually wins the title, which is actually a return to form after a long while. His last title came in Kerry 2021. Well, his last Challenger title, I should specify, because he won an ITF event last year. But yeah, didn't make Australian Open qualifying, which of course, for a while, he was a player who would always always be at these stages. He starts the year in Indian Wells and I think he was by far the best player this whole, the whole week. Uh, I had a lot of fun watching Mitchell Kruger again uh, this week, I have to say. He um, didn't lose a set on the way to the final. He eventually lost it against Brandon Holt, but once he started just getting more of these big forehands in and also transitioning to the net a lot more smoothly, I think uh, it became clear that Holt doesn't really have an idea as to how to respond to it. Uh, to be fair, Holt had a lot of breakpoints back in the third set, but Mitch saved them all like pretty well. He gets back to around the 250-ish ranking, which is a big step, obviously, because it allows him to think of uh, maybe making Grand Slam qualifying again in the near future, for example, at the French, where, of course, at the French, I think he's actually never won a match in the qualifying, despite playing like five or six times. But but uh, still, uh, it would be a massive thing money-wise and sort of with his career going forward. He's just 30 after all. Uh, just finished 30 as he was born in January and uh, yeah I think as I said the, the whole run I, I really enjoyed watching him play uh, the hitting of the ground how heavy it was I think it was really threatening to a lot of these players and at this level I think he still can be overwhelming to the opposition and he showed it again this week after a couple of tough years for the guy and the finalist, Brandon Holt, his maiden final. We all know about Holt being like a player who had massive runs at the Grand Slam stages, of course, beating Taylor Fritz famously at the US Open. But uh, now he actually starts getting results consistently at the challenger level as well. So we've got Nontaburi quarterfinals losing to Su, Nontaburi second event quarterfinals losing to Guinard, and now this final, which uh, wasn't the most impressive run. I mean, he beats Blaise Bicknell, Strong Kirschheimer, Daniel Zuckerman, and Tyson Kwiatkowski, but that's still uh, improvement because Holt actually didn't have a single challenger final the last couple of years, despite, of course, the five ITF titles in 2022 and also these uh, Grand Slam runs that are mentioned but so this is a step up already for Holt we'll see if this sort of consistency of results continues um, was it particularly impressive on his end I don't really think so I think it was more of the same sort of solid quality that we usually see from Brandon so but this challenger 50 level can really help him of course because this is a quality of players that he should be used to given that he won five ITF titles and I think a few of them 25ks in 2022 so uh, it, it's, a, it's a good event for him to pick at I think and then we also had Paul Jabb who as I said was my winner prediction he makes the semis decent start to the year I mean he's back on the challenger tour and it looks like he will be fairly threatening like he plays Joao Souza in Oeiras in the second round, he loses. He loses to Martin Dam in the second round in Oeiras, but he wins the matches that he is supposed to. And here he does the same pretty much. He beats Brady, Kozlov, and 
Kumar loses to Mitch Kruger, which uh, he was the favorite in. But as I said, I think the American was just playing very, very well the whole week. Also, uh, that match was finished on Sunday, but since um, the... Uh, it was like five games, I think, only. No, sorry, four games. No, five games. I'm, I was right the first time. Five games until the finish. Uh, it didn't impact Kruger's chances in the final. But Job as a whole, I think, uh, is having a pretty decent return to the challenger level. Uh, I think sometimes we tend to maybe even overrate how good he was on it in the first place, because, of course, he won a challenger title in 2022 in Santa Cruz. However, uh, it's not like he was making semis and finals every week, right? And sometimes we now look at him as a player who should be doing that. I think he does have more potential than he did, of course, than he achieved before the break. Uh, but I think sometimes maybe we look at him as someone who should just dominate the challenger level now. And maybe that's not exactly the case, but he did have a very solid week in Indian Wells. And the other semi-finalist, as I mentioned earlier, Tyson Kwiatkowski, I think uh, someone as well who just like Kruger and Job and actually, well, Holt, no, but the Kruger and Job um, has been sort of trying to return to form. Kruger, probably no injuries there, but Tyson missed like the entire 2022 season. So he's still making his way back, but currently just outside the top 300. I believe, in fact, that after this run, he will be situated, uh, yeah, ba basically on the verge of the top 300. So he's getting back where he was again. His career high being 181, so still far away, uh, far from that. But of course, Ransom qualifying, that would be his goal right now. And yeah, two solid runs to start the year. He makes the quarterfinals in Oeiras, beating Rocha Justino, losing to Gerasimov. And now he beats Kuzuhara Handel. Trunheriti as well. Trunheriti, by the way, his first uh, hardcore quarterfinal at the challenger level, at the challenger level, which was pretty shocking to me, and then loses to Brandon Holt in this very competitive free setter in the semifinals. So I think from Ty's perspective, it was a very solid event as well. And uh, lastly, when it comes to the doubles in um, Indian Wells, that was won again by the phenomenal pairing of Ryan Segerman and Patrick Tchac. They have been insane with each other. Uh, I think their their win loss record currently is like forty four and two, so yeah, just just absurd. They're going to be playing uh, another event in Indian Wells as well, but yeah, forty four and two with eleven titles by now. Of course, not all of these are at the challenger level. In fact, only three of them were at the challenger level. Uh, that includes eight uh, futures events as well, but they are now going to be in the top 200 of the doubles rankings. So the rise that Trach and Segerman are experiencing right now is really um, sort of uh, cash pattern levels. And who else was it? Uh, I, I'm missing one more pairing that I'm... Um, there's one more pairing that I'm thinking of that did something similar, but I can't, I can't place that right now. But anyway, of course, cash pattern is a, is a good analogy, I think. And anyway, uh, we are now going to talk about the match and upset of the week, which uh, let's maybe start with the match. I posted the poll on Twitter as usual. I think by the time you listen to the episode, it's probably going to be over. But um, basically, two of the picks that I included were the finals, Kruger-Holt and also Bagnis-Navone. Uh, but, but what's actually leading right now, and it's 16 hours left until the end of the poll when I'm, when I'm recording this segment of the show, but it is Nakashima against Landalusa in round one of uh, Tenerife, which I think is a very fine selection. My pick, however, is actually going to be not the Bagnis Navone final, but the Kruger Holt one. I really enjoyed it. I was hoping for it to be finished in two sets because I had to go to bed to catch some sleep before the Australian Open action. However, 
I have to say that uh, it was actually very entertaining from start to finish, a very sort of clear, clear um, you know, contrast of styles and how Kruger was always just going to attack really regardless of what's go- what was going to happen. Lots of fun points at the net, even from Holt as well. And um, yeah, I, I like the dynamics there maybe a little bit more than in Bagnis Navone, where uh, I think it was just a lot more patchy in the Buenos Aires final. And even though there were some some very exciting uh, moments like Bagnis firing up at the end, I still feel like the quality was a lot more spotty in Buenos Aires, whereas Indian Wells was maybe more of a steady uh, level. I don't know if higher, probably not, but just just more steady. So I'm actually my favorite match was actually Kruger against Holt in the final of Indian Wells, the last uh, challenger match of the week, because that was the the last final of the day on Sunday. And now we also have to talk about the upset of the week. Let's think about it. So in Indian Wells, did we have anything crazy? Uh, Probably not. I think a lot of the draw was like at a very similar quality level. Well, one of them maybe took Herman over Pospisil, but then again, Vasek, we just didn't know if he was fit. So we cannot really treat it like this, I think. In Buenos Aires, uh, was there anything exceptional? Vice beating Krutik. I mean, Krutik has been so off recently that I don't think it really qualifies as a major upset. Uh, then again, in Nontaburi, we have actually Chanta beating Santian, but Santian retired in the second set, so that's also not that impressive. Guncalo Oliveira beating Mattia Bellucci like this was pretty surprising, but also Bellucci's form is so... Um, I don't want to even say mediocre recently, it's just been all over the place. Uh, however, maybe Tenerife, maybe Kukushkin over Dam. Is that a fine choice? I think that's what I'm going to go for. I know Dam was coming over from Oeiraj and actually really uh, even retired. So like both finalists from Oeiraj didn't do that well in Tenerife. Uh, but I think I might just go with the upset of the week to Mikhail Kukushkin over Martin Dam. I think Kukushkin, I'm, I just have pretty low expectations from at this stage of his career. But it's not like he had a horrific 2023 season. He still has enough in his game to maybe think of returning to the Grand Slam qualifying stage at some point. However, of course, with every single year, it's going to be a lot more tough since he's already 36. In fact, he has just finished 36 because he is bo- he was born on the 26th of December. Um, so, yeah, I guess with that, we might uh, wrap up the match and upset of the week section. And now we can get to the previews, where uh, this week we have, again, four events. Two of them are Challenger 125s, really good fields. This is, of course, the second week of the Australian Open. Many players have already returned from uh, Melbourne, and they were well, they were willing to produce, they were willing to show up on the Challenger level this week. And I think, yeah, it's going to be a fabulous, a fabulous week of watching Challenger tennis especially some of the opening rounds, I mean, in, in Quimper and in Otinier Louvain-Lanef are, are just insane. But let's start with the Belgium one, uh, Otinier Louvain-Lanef or the BW Open, where Borna Cioric actually took a challenger wildcard here, one of these uh, pre-approved ones that I mentioned earlier, because he's a top 50 player, but he wants to get some rhythm going, so I like that decision. He's going to play Meligeni Alves in the opening round, He Cioric being the top seed. Uh, the defending champion is David Goffin, and he's also in the draw, but let's get to that later. Kamil Mikeshak has a wildcard for the main draw eventually. I tweeted a couple of weeks ago that he will have a qualifying wildcard. The tournament director is uh, a former agent of his. 
However, eventually uh, they even upped his wildcard to the main draw, which I guess is pretty cool for Camille, although I was also excited to see how he faces, you know, how he, how he fares in the qualifying already. But that, that means that his challenger return will come on Wednesday then. And he's going to play a qualifier, as I said, so there's really not much to say about this. Like, it could be anyone, and it will still be a pretty high level, given the quality of the, of the qualifying draw here. But uh, here we go. I mean, Agamemnon Schelbach, maybe not so much yet, but Zizou Bergs plays David Goffin. So the Belgian number two against the Belgian number one. Uh, pretty insane, you know. David Goffin, the fifth seed, the defending champion. Lots of points here. I think he's still likely to return to the top 100 this year. But of course, this would set him back if he's not able to produce a run here. Uh, Medjedovic blocks is the next matchup. I don't know if you guys remember that, but like Medjedovic blocks was a qualifying round one in Antwerp, the ATP 250 qualifying last year, and blocks won it. It was like such a massive way of announcing himself at that stage. So I don't know what to think here. Of course, blocks had a pretty poor showing at Australian Open qualifying. They were in the same section as well, so they could have played each other in the third round. That was one of these that blew up, and Shelby Jessica was eventually the final qualifying round with Jessica going through. But even one of one of one of these players can face Lloyd Harris in the second round or a qualifier. So this this draw is pretty sick in the top half. We've got Junhur playing a qualifier and Yoris Delor playing Jombor Pirosh. Jombor hasn't been good in a while, so I think Delor actually has a pretty nice draw to make the quarters here. Then we also have the bottom half, which is weaker, but still pretty good. Benoit Per playing a qualifier, then a qualifier faces Goffier on Clan. I think it was on Clan getting into the event that made um yeah, that, that left the wildcard open for Mike Schack, yes, indeed. Uh, then we also have Brancaccio Richard, uh, Hisler playing Rodionov. That's pretty good. I would say maybe even Hisler a favorite right now, but uh, it's pretty close. Brandon Nakashima, the Tenerife champion, plays Benjamin Hassan in the opening round. Then we also have Colignon against Molecker. Colignon with a wildcard. Colignon was injured for a while. He returns recently. I think he beat Kyle Edmund in a pretty sensational match uh, on the ITF level just a couple of weeks ago. Then, of course, Edmund now is on a 10-match win streak, so I guess the expectations for Colignon should be pretty high. There's also Escoffier against Hoinski, and the second seed is Benjamin Ponzi playing qualifier. So, yeah, this is really rough when it comes to picking a winner because it's so good. But yeah, let's look at the qualifying first and let's think if there's anyone who we can really justify here. Basiashvili facing Ilkel, Yevseyev is also there, Morokanyas against Czernik Bilek, so it's, it doesn't have to be easy. Leandro Ridi, if he qualifies, maybe. Uh, Max Kashnikovsky as well, the recent OERash champion, so, so both OERash champions actually, Ridi and Kashnikovsky. Andreev Mansuri opening round, Kachmazov is here, Kukushkin plays Serdarusic, what a sort of veteran matchup as well. But I'm not going to be picking any qualifier here. Um, I don't know who Mike Shuck is going to get. And that's also going to make me like follow the qualifying more probably. Because I really want to see him win a match at least. And then if he plays Chorich in the second round, what a blockbuster that will be. But yeah, I'm not going to pick Chorich because I don't like the section. Mike Shuck's second round, probably too early for Camille to win it yet. But still, I you know there is a bit of uncertainty there, I suppose, with Chorich also just coming back really. We've got Bergs Goffin. I don't want to go into that either. Like, I have no clue who's the favorite there. I, I mean, I can guess that it's going to be Goffin, but I think it's closer than it seems. Let's just say that. Then we also have Medjedovic blocks, which already is pretty tough, but I would still be willing to pick Hamad, if not for that Harris second round and Yoris Delor quarter. Like, that looks like a horrific draw. Of course, he might just do it anyway. He's Hamad Medjedovic, but 
yeah, I, I, I'm not going to go into that. So I just want to pick someone from the bottom half. And given that Nakashima just won in Tenerife, I'm not going to repeat that pick. I'm just going to go with Ben Bonzi, I think. Bonzi lost into Musetti at the Australian Open, but he seemed fine physically. If he's back healthy, then I think these indoor events are going to be pretty good for him. If he gets through Nakashima, I like his chances to make the final. Let me say that. Would he actually beat someone like Medjelovic, uh, Delors, Blocks, Harris, Bergs, Kofeu, Mikeshak, Choric in the final? I think he'd be probably a slight underdog against most of these. However, I will still pick him because I think he's the sensible way to go here. Now, the second Challenger 125 that we have is in Quimper. Uh, that's also a, a pretty famous event. I think Sebi Korda won it a few years ago, for example, as a um, when he was like still um, sort of getting to the tour, of course, an, an event we've been having almost every year as well. Brandon Nakashima, I think, too, in 2021. Last year, it was a title for Gregoire Barrer, who beat Arthur Fields. Fields is not here, but Gregoire Barrer is uh, as the top seed. Of course, he is the defending champion. He's like on the verge of the top 100 now, so he really needs the points. And uh, yeah, let's just look at the main draw. Uh, and this is also pretty stacked. So Barrer, first up, plays Otto Virtanen. Awesome indoor matchup. I don't know if Virtanen is going to be ready or re ready to like, yeah, be in good shape. In Tenerife, he did grab a win over Shellbach. It was a bit of a different Otto, like it wasn't the baseball tennis from Australian Open qualies and it wasn't the baseball tennis from Hong Kong qualies. But is he good enough right now to win against Barrer? I don't know, but still, there's a lot of question marks, I think, in this one. And then you have Guinard against Jacquet, Mayomi Solic, uh, Imer playing Gabriel Diallo, I love this one as well. Gaston against Emery, that feels like a matchup of like, you know, two very unstable French players, so it could be fun. Aziz Dugas faces a qualifier, there's a battle of qualifiers, and then Blancano or Cressy. Kopshiva plays Luca Pui. Um, we'll see how Pui is physically, you know, in Nontaburi, of course, he again was struggling with his back, but un until he had that issue in the final against Vashro, he was in such good form. So um, I kind of like Pui's chances to beat Kopshiva, I think, at least indoors. Then you have Martino against Pechi Pericard. Gio also a decent draw for a run here. Hies Brauer plays a qualifier, and then Harris, Billy Harris, not like Harris, plays Constant Lestien. Michael Moe plays Pierre Igerbert, and then Aydukovic or a qualifier. And then we also have Rinderneh against Blanchet, and then qualifier, uh, a qualifier faces Kuzmanov. This is tough, again, like this is just so stacked that I think in these draws we never really know who the favorite is. There's no two players that are much better than the rest. When it comes to the qualifying, again, lots of good players. Vincent Ruggeri, whom I mentioned during the Tenerife recap. Uh, Poulain Oang, that's pretty interesting. I wonder if Oang can do something after such a long while. Berankis Gibodo, I want to see that as well. Durasovic playing McHugh. Um, Jean-Vier, always potentially tricky if he fires up. Tristan Lamazine, who's been returning to form. Ivan Fairness, I mean, we haven't seen a run from him in a while, but I guess he is still capable of it. But yeah, the, the main draw seems too strong for the qualifiers to actually do this much damage. So who am I picking here? I don't know. I have a few ideas. Uh, Barrer Virtanen, I didn't want to get into that. So Diallo is always an option for me, but that's also a very strong, very competitive quarter of the draw. So I don't think I'm touching it. I was thinking of Cressy even, but Cressy is just such a mess right now. You don't really know if he's going to perform in any match. He could, he could very well lose to Blancano in the opening round. 
someone could hero call Luca Pui, but I still want to see it first. Um, Petri Pericard, I think, is, an, is a very decent selection here too. Probably the same with... Um, actually, Lestien against Billy Harris. That's tough right away. And the same for Mo Herber. And part of that is why I'm going to go with Artur Rinderneck. So again, he barely finished top 100 last year. I think he has the quality to keep doing this. He, he, however, he needs to start actually putting in results together. And I think this draw is a decent opportunity. He's going to play Blanchet, who's like a little mediocre, I would say, despite winning the 125 last year. Then, of course, Kuzmanov or a qualifier. That's doable. And if he speeds up, if he like tunes in his game over these first two rounds, I like his chances to be a reasonable threat in this event. I think that makes sense. Uh, then the quarters would already be pretty tough, like Mo or Herbert, but, um, well, this draw is so tough that every single quarter will have some fiery matchups. So, anyway, I think I'm going with Arthur Rinderneck here, but, um, admittedly, not that much confidence in it. Absolutely not. <laughs> then, also, we have uh, the Challenger 75 in Punta del Este. This is an event that's coming back for the first time since 2020. The defending champion is actually here, Thiago Monteiro. And let me tell you, in 2020, that was a ridiculous final. That was actually one my favorite challenger match of 2020. I did that list at the end of 2020, and I can I cannot tell you the full top 10, although you can definitely find it over on the internet. It's not like there are many best challenger matches of 2020 lists lying around there. I mean, basically, whenever you type it, I'm pretty sure you're going to find mine. But I remember that number three for me was um, Veseli against Janovic in the Paul semi-final. And number one for me was Cecchinato Monteiro, Punta del Este. And number two is a very famous match, Alcaraz Musetti, Trieste semi-final. So uh, basically number one uh, was that Punta del Este uh, yeah, clash in the final, really good free setter against two quality players. Both are in the draw. Of course, Cecchinato has kind of lost his ways recently for sure. Monteiro was injured at the, at the start of the year, but maybe he still has some hopes here. We'll see about that. But uh, it's going to be a bit of a nostalgic event for sure, given that uh, we haven't had that for four years and I have such good memories from the previous edition. But anyway, the top seed here is now Federico Coria, who's playing a qualifier, then Buruchaga or Lavagno. Bagnis, the you know last week's winner, plays Neumayer. Then Monteiro is the fifth seed, the defending champ, plays a qualifier. Tirante faces Roncadelli. And then Haide or Colarini. Hmm, that's interesting. Then a couple of qualifiers could play Ugo Carabelli or Navone. We'll see how much that um, Buenos Aires run takes out of Navone. If it wasn't the case, like if he didn't play that, I think I would have been picking him here, but now I don't know. Comesania Fonseca, another amazing round one matchup that we have on the Challenger Tour this week. Then Gako for a qualifier. Serundolo Gianessi, I think they've had some matches, right? Like th that sounds like something I've seen before. And I think it was pretty fun as well with all the lefty uh, magic that was happening there. I will check that in the meantime, but I'm pretty sure I remember some wild Giannessi Serundo matches. Uh, Thomas Barrios Vera is the third seed, recent top 100 debut as well, of course, playing a qualifier. Then we have Darderi against Kicker, Albot against Olivieri. Radu Albot here, by the way, that's, that's quite interesting. Um, that he's playing in Punta del Este. In a lot of cases, these players all do that because of uh, Davis Cup, right? So I haven't actually checked where who Moldova plays, but I would assume that it's probably something like that. Like initially, even the um, uh, even Baby Drukayev was signed up for Punta del Este because they're they're, they're playing a, a challenger. I mean, they're playing a Davis Cup tie on clay. Kazakhstan is, but uh, in the end, I think. <laughs> 
in the end, I think he pulled out eventually. But anyway, also Cardozo plays Rodriguez Taverna and Christian Garin has a wildcard here as the second seed. And he faces Marco Cecchinato, so that's a pretty good matchup right away, but I don't know if Cecchinato is coming back. And indeed, yes, Moldova plays Uruguay in, um, in Montevideo, so that's why Radu Albot is here, basically. Last year, I think we also had a, a Kazakhstan playing in South America, and then we had like Publik, Kukushkin <laughs> trying some events. So it was it was pretty fun too. Uh, sometimes players do that because of because of DC, obviously. And uh, yeah, when it comes to the qualifying, I think as I'm talking about it, some matches are happening. Yes, so we have like Luz, Sanchez, Izquierdo, Taberner, Guillen Meza in the final qualifying round, Murkel Delian, oh Gianluca Mager. Of course, he recently came back and actually looked pretty good. Um, one of the best matches of today, definitely Boyer against Federico Agustin Gomez. For now, uh, Tristan Boyer is winning. Also Gonzalo Bueno, uh, so the Buenos Irish winner is there. Uh, we also have Olivo against Borg in the third set um, right now. So that's pretty interesting. Reis da Silva, Campania Lee. So it's a very strong qualifying draw. I don't think that anyone is this strong for me to actually go for that as, a, as my peak, but mm, maybe. And yeah, Serundolo Gianessi, two matches, 2021 Rome semi-final. That's probably what I was thinking of, but also Tigre last year semi-final. But, uh, but that Tigre match looks like the one that I was thinking, which was like really close in the third set. But anyway, uh, who am I picking here then? Uh, Garin facing Cecchinato round one. I really think he will win. But do I want to pick him for the title? <laughs> the, the quarter is pretty okay. Although like Rodriguez Taverna could be dangerous round two. Darderi quarters, that's tough. I don't think that Barrios Vera justifies a peak at the moment. He did slow down considerably in the second half of last year. Comesania Fonseca, I kind of don't want to touch it. I think it might be too much for the youngster, but he's so talented. I mean, I mean, he might as well win it. Uh, Coria, maybe it's just smart to go for Coria, but then again, he can play Monteiro in the final round. So it's not that obvious. I mean, Fede Coria did pretty okay against Zhizhen Zhang, and I think he did win a challenger last year around this time of the year as well. Yeah, let's let's try that then. Let's let's try Federico Coria, but I'm not doing it with a lot of confidence. I was thinking of Tirante as well, but Tirante is usually so useless when it's not altitude, right? He had a couple of decent runs, like Ron Garros, of course, last year, first and foremost, but otherwise all his points are from altitude events. So I think I'm just gonna stick to Federico Coria here. The boring peak, definitely the top seed, but what can you do? Um, I think in Otinelovon Lanev, I went for the second seed for. Uh, Bonzi, huh? So I, I could actually go for a bit of a, um, yeah, I could actually go for a for a theme here and just pick second seeds everywhere. No, but I remember who's the second seed in Indian Wells, and I don't think the second seed is winning there. So let let's stick with that. Although I have to say that my picks this week will be a little boring then because I think I'm going for only first and second seeds but anyway we'll see i i don't remember if maybe there's someone in the indian was draw who will attract me even more than the peak that i have in mind for now but yeah in uh, punta del este i'm just gonna go with the boring answer of federico coria it's not an easy draw but no one has an easy draw here i would have been going navona if not for the run this week which i think could leave him a little a little physically stranded if you may and then the last uh, challenger that we have is the second edition of Indian Wells. Once again, of course, the Indian Wells Tennis Garden, the venue of the BNP Paribas Open, the Indian Wells event in uh, ATP, ATP 1000 event. 
So um, the first seed is actually Zachary Svaidan. I mentioned that earlier that he also, just like Navone last week, he picks up a wildcard for the Challenger 50, despite being a top 150 player. He faces Gabriel De Bru in a very tricky and interesting opening round. Ivan Zhu, strong Kirschheimer. Uh, there's a qualifier facing Trotter and also Kumar against Kruger. Kruger now back in form. Hmm? Uh, maybe he can keep going still here as well too. Trujeriti against Lukas Gerch. Then Oradini Tin. Oradini Tin, by the way, is a rematch from last week. Uh, Tin did um, beat him in round two, I believe. Then we also have Vasek Pospisil, who was not in great physical shape against Zuckerman. He's facing Fanslow here. And also Trevor Svaida, the brother of Zachary, also with a wild card. He plays Tennis Sandgren. Aidan Mayo is the seventh seed facing Blaze Bicknell. There's Benjamin Locke and Ishai Oliel. Uh, Brandon Holt also trying to repeat his last week's run. He is facing Ryan Segerman, so a part of that amazing doubles duo. And one of them can face the real estate broker in Mattia Bekotic or a qualifier. And the last section is also like field with qualifiers, but you still have Tyson Kwiatkowski, you've got Paul Job, you've got Tim Handel and uh, Federico Gallo. And Federico Gallo is that second seed that I mentioned that I don't really want to be picking here because, well, on the hard courts, eh, I don't know if I see it. When it comes to the qualifying, not too strong, but there are a few insane matchups. Perhaps some of them are happening right now. Let me check. I mean, they barely started, so not really. Zuckerman is losing to uh, Strode. Huh. Is that a surprise? I mean, I know Elijah Strode is like perceived as a bit of a prospect, but I guess I wasn't expecting him to beat Zuckerman this com- like this comprehensively. Well, he hasn't won yet, but he is six, four, and five love up. I guess, uh, yeah, he actually was a massive underdog before the match. Elijah probably a, a bigger prospect than Isaiah Strode anyway. Isaiah is also playing here. He's gonna play Clark, and um, at the end of the day. But yeah, when it comes to the threats here, mm, Kuzuhara, uh, he hasn't done much at the challenger level. I think the main story here, oh, also Diane King, by the way, that's a good one. But uh, the main story is going to be the kozlov Ayeni match. That's, that will be wild. I kind of want to watch it now, although I don't know if I will manage to before getting my nap uh, before the Australian Open action. But anyway, uh, yeah, probably no uh, real threats from the qualifying uh, unless, yeah, someone pulls out a ridiculous run from like King or, yeah, Kozlov Ayeni. Either of these two, I think, could have a run if they just combine, like if they manage to compile their best stuff that they have in their games right now for a whole week. But anyway... Uh, how do you not pick Zachary Svaida here is the question, I think, for the most part. One answer is Gabriel De Bru in the opening round, but I haven't been too convinced with the start of the year for Get De Bru. I think he's still quite far away from beating players like this. Then you also have Mitch Kruger, of course, in his quarter, but um, after the run of this week, I think I would bug Zachary to get through that. Semi, potentially. Sandgren, Pospisil. Pospisil, again, if he was fit, maybe I would be picking Pospisil, but I don't really buy it. So yeah, I think Zakaris Fida is a very clear selection here. Uh, you've got Pekotic or Holt in that third quarter as well. I like both of these guys could be worth picking. It would be such a wild story if Pekotic got it, I think, because last year, of course, he was very close to winning a t- title in Salinas. He lost to Ilya Marchenko in the final, and he would have been the oldest challenger first-time champion ever. Tyson Kwiatkowski, Paul Jab. Um, again, I picked Paul Jab last week. I think he did perfectly fine. But can I really, uh, again, justify going for him over Zachary Svaida? I'm going to say no. I'm just going to stick to the boring options this week. I'm sorry. Uh, That's what it is. That's what the draws threw at me. 
Uh, I think all draws are pretty tough actually when it comes to picking uh, the winner. Other maybe done, yeah, this Indian Wells where I feel like most people would go for Sfaida. Uh, Punta del Este is just completely wild. The same with Quimper and Otinia Luvonanev. Like you could have 10 picks at least there. That would be, you know, in the realm of, um, let's say, reality, possibility or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a very exciting week of Challenger action. Probably Indian Wells the least. But the other three events are just full of amazing matchups, full of, full of amazing round ones as well. So um, uh, we will, of course, meet with, uh, with you guys in, well, I will meet with you guys in seven days when we're going to be discussing Indian Wells, Punta del Este, Quimper and Otinielu Volnanev. See what I did there? Just a minute ago, I basically listed the events anyway. So now I had an easier job at the end for my usual um, horrific task that I have to perform every single recording. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, as usual, had a lot of fun doing this and thank you for listening and I'll see you guys next time. Bye.